y'all doing? Hi again, everybody. It's me, JR Man, your official official. Welcome to your Life's Word podcast number something. Today we're doing Ask JR four questions that have been noodling the minds of humanity. That'll be solved by me today within 30 minutes. I know you can't wait. How are you? Greetings, everybody. To all of you around the country, uh, my good Florida people, my wonderful L.A. people, Grand Rapids, Chicago. How are you doing? Uh, my New York City contingency. Those of you sitting on Rockaway Beach right now, how are you doing? Those of you commuting, how are you doing? And I got to say a special uh, shout out to all of those listening uh, across the pond in London. And I know who you are, and you know who you are, and I appreciate your people watching. And uh, <laughs> again, the audience of your Life's Work podcast uh, is funny to me. San Paolo, I think you hear me, right? Okay, good. Uh, how y'all doing? And of course, those of you listening off planet, greetings to you too. Um, a little uh, notes again, we are getting so damn close to the printing of a book called Year that I've been working on for the last year and a half. Um, myself and partner in crime, Rob Supan. If you need a designer, ladies and gentlemen, you, if you need design, period. And I'm, not, I'm talking about all kinds of design, not just digital design. If you need something designed, if you need the essence of something created, hit my boy at Rob, Rob at Supans.com. Rob at Supans, S-U-P-A-N-S.com. And I think he's got a website. It's like Supans Creative or something like that, or you can just Google it. Um, or I'll put a link somewhere so you can linkage it. Uh, but we've been working on this book, and we got we got some wonderful endorsements. We so when you do your own book and you publish your own book, you ask for endorsements. I mean, I guess basically everybody asks for endorsements, but we asked some good people, and some good people gave us an endorsement. And we can't. And, and, and again, I, I'm not going to share who those endorsements are necessarily right now, but they're just really great people who have signed off on this project and said really great things about what we created in year year. This is a book. It's 365 Contemplations. Um, it's likened to maybe a, a book that you can have every single day and have a contemplation every single day. Um, it's, it's rad. It's not what I designed. And you've heard me say this. It's really not what I designed it, what I was out to do. It really wasn't. I was out to actually, actually write a book, like chapters in the whole nine yards, um, similar to what I did with Starving Jesus. Um, but this project like came out of left field, and we, I just went with it, and and here it comes, and I'm super super proud of it. It's it's not, you know, again, I don't think it's gonna, <laughs> I don't think there's gonna be a generation of people following in lockstep. Bring us year, we gotta have it, or else we'll die, or it's gonna hit the New York Times bestseller list. Hey, you never know, but um, you know, I mean, there's a there's a re there's a reality to a book like this, and I think those of you who like the deeper journey, those of you who like to contemplate. And really dive in deep to the divine. And what I'm talking about, man, is like exercise who you are. Really find out and dig deep on who you are. Uh, those probing questions about um, how God made you. How and how you respond to the world. How you don't respond to the world. This is what this book is. How you respond to relationships. How you don't respond to relationships. This is what this book is. So it's coming... Um, uh, hopefully next week we've put this thing to bed in some light where people can start to pre-order or uh, we're, we're looking at the final um, stuff. But we've been doing this for a long time, and, man, I keep saying I can't wait to get this thing out because it becomes a pain in the ass at some point uh, when you self-publish. And we're at that pain in the ass point, so yay, happy days. 
I, uh, and, and that's it. Uh, spiritual direction training classes are online. Go to jrman.com, J-R-M-A-H-O-N.com. Go to the training workshop page and sign up. We're doing uh, spiritual direction training classes. You do not need to prerequisite class prior to the one you're signing up for in the next date. You understand what I'm saying? So it's not like 101, 102, 103, 104. It's none of that business. It's six sessions over the course of a year. You can join in at any time. There is a reading list that is a prerequisite for any given class that we do. You will see the reading list there. Uh, the reading list is really truly designed to kind of jumpstart what we're talking about in said class that you sign up for. But we're all talking about spiritual direction. We're talking about the ability, the practice to sit with one another and listen. Listen. Listen deeply to what's not only going on inside of you, but the other person, but also the divine. What is happening cosmically? What's happening in and around you? And I'm not talking about any weird shit. Like a lot of people think uh, spiritual direction can get so esoteric that people just kind of freak out and start melting down, particularly evangelicals. Like their faces just melt off when we start saying the word spiritual (laughs) or mystic. Oh, Oh, the devil. Um, No, that's not it. Spiritual direction takes the guesswork out of having a relationship with God, period, end of story. How many of you and how many of my clients do I deal with, my directees, where it's like, what's God saying? And that's, a, that's, a, that's an actual question. And spiritual direction helps take that burden off. And the reason it does that is because when you enter into one another, into a situation where you're finding accountability for strengths and weaknesses and the experiences of your life, you are literally staring the divine in the face because, man, he so desires us to be in relationship with one another. So sign up for that. We'd love to have you. Uh, all of it's on jrman.com. Hit me, and if you if you need me, numbers on the website, just text me. If you're looking for a spiritual director, uh, a spiritual director that's the Rochester coming out me, y'all. If you're looking for a spiritual director, if you're looking for some direction for your life's work, whatever passion you are involved right now, and you just need some direction, some pointing, some... some um, some spiritual common sense is how I tell people. Uh, I'm your guy. So hit me and, uh, and, and we can talk. Okay, so we move on to Ask JR. So Ask JR is just really a, a, a bush way of saying I really didn't prepare anything for this week. <laughs> um, but these are good questions. And these are, and these are questions that I get asked. So I literally sat here before I flipped on the old podcast machine and, and uh, really started to take stock in the questions that are asked of me. And I get asked one question. I get asked, uh, you know, I get asked a lot of questions kind of similarly between people or groups. Um, and, and, uh, today I got a good four, I got a good random four going. Plus some of these questions are, uh, from old ask JRs that just didn't get answered. So I, I do have this question come up a lot. It's, it's not funny. It's not a funny question, but it's a question that I get asked a lot. And it's someone I know smells like booze, booze. Every time I meet with them, what do I do? So you're meeting with somebody and somebody smells like booze. And let's say it's like, oh, I see this person at nine o'clock in the morning (laughs) because, you know, I mean, you could somebody could smell like booze at nine o'clock at night and maybe and maybe right. Maybe there's a good legit thing going on there. But uh, this is I honestly it's like I, you know, I have this neighbor. I have this friend. Uh, they smell like booze. What do I do? So there's, a, there's an immediate fear in this question. And the question is, really, do I have to say something? That's, that's the question. Do I really have to say something? So I, I, again, 
if you listen regularly, you know where I stand on fear. You're going to have fear. Fear is going to be a part of your life. You just got to get used to that. You got to accept it. You got to move on. That's just how it goes. A lot of time, fear will point you in the right direction for the record. It's not just something to fight or flight with. Fear actually can be wisdom-based, and it can actually help point you away or to what you're needing. So in this case, the fear's legit because you don't want to just look at somebody who you know smell because it's like it's guesswork sometimes, right? It's like, are you an alcoholic? Uh, do you drink too much? Um, from my own personal experience, uh, having, having a drinking problem myself and, and now sober, um, you know, like I can tell you, people have asked me the question, are you okay? <laughs> and when somebody asked me the question, Hey dude, are you drinking too much? I wasn't offended. I wasn't, I didn't go on the offense. I a lot of denial for sure, but uh, it's not like I wanted to cut somebody's uh, head off. So from that side of this fence, I want you to understand that most people that are going to ingest your question about their alcohol consumption are probably going to go to denial. <laughs> depending on their awareness of their problem. Some people might pony up really quickly. Yeah, I, you know, I drink. This is how, how I deal with things. Um, and some people that are so immersed in an alcoholic haze or a drug addiction haze or any kind of addiction haze, like I say, will just automatically go to, uh, you know, some kind of, of denial, which can, for the record, um, look a lot like offense, right? It can look a lot like offense. So again, the fear is, am I going to offend this person? Will they ever talk to me again? Will they bite my head off? The, the real quick response to everybody is, you definitely got to say something. If you suspect somebody that has an addiction, it is, it is a literal responsibility as a human being and as somebody who's having a relationship with somebody to definitely, to definitely get in there. Now, there's ways of doing this that don't sound like you're a big D for the record. And how I suggest most people do it is, is you just lean in with the truth, which is to say, hey, you know, I'm around you a lot and uh, you smell like booze a lot. And are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? That's a sentence that can be ingested a couple different ways. Number one, you're showing concern. Number two, you're identifying that there might possibly be a problem. And number three, you're giving cause to a conversation versus versus just going right and swacking somebody's head off real quick going, hey, you drink too much and you got to stop. I'd rather you enter into a conversation where there's some probing questions going on, deep probing good questions going on when it comes to an addiction. That way, if the person does leave in denial or in an oppositional state, an adversarial state, at least they got something to think about when they're walking away. So here's me. Go all in. Go all in. Don't be a pain in the ass, but go all in. Again, fear drives this question. The fear is these people will freak out. The fear is they won't like me again. The fear is I'm getting too personal. Uh, on my side of the fence, y y at some level, we have to become comfortable with the uncomfortability of how we live. And so th that's, that's my kind of my standard thing as a spiritual director. Like people come to me all day long and we get and we talk about some uncomfortable things a lot, a lot. Some things are very comfortable and natural to talk about, sure. But there's a lot of uncomfortability when we're talking about fears, when we're talking about anger, when we're talking about depression, when we're talking about addictions, when we're talking about, I mean, when you talk about addictions, we can talk about sexual addiction, that gets crazy uncomfortable very, very quickly. So go all in, please. Do it afraid. Um, and be able to be a landing pad for somebody who does 
need help if that's the case. And you also have to be prepared. You have to be prepared for that person to go, yeah, man, I drink too much and I don't know what the hell to do and I need help. So you do have to be prepared at some way to help pave the new road for this person. I'm not saying fix them. I'm not saying solve it. I'm saying be all in. No one listening to the sound of my voice is going to fix somebody's alcoholism or solve somebody's drinking problem or solve somebody's drug addiction or solve somebody's sexual addiction or gambling problem, whatever addiction it is. No one's, no one, no one is going to solve another problems like that. It's like I tell people, I don't fix, I listen. I'm just asking you to be all in on people and take a responsibility when you know you need to take responsibility and be able to go deep. And yes, be uncomfortable while you do it because that's the nature of who we are one to another. There will be some uncomfortable problems. There will be some uncomfortable situations. It's just like disciplining a neighbor's kid, which was one of the questions a billion years ago that I got asked that we've done on the big show. It's like, how do I discipline a neighbor's kid? Well, I mean, again, I think there needs to be massive conversations besides just you and that kid, right? You need to be talking to the parents too. So it's like, if that that's what I'm saying. I'm saying... If you're able to weed through the fear enough to get to the root of the problem, I guarantee you a good conversation. Yes, some people are going to freak out, flip out, call you an a-hole. You're a jerk. How dare you think that of me? But you got to take the chips where they may. I'd rather us I'd rather us set somebody up for risenness. And what I mean by that is like I'd rather set somebody up for some new life and transformation in their life and getting through some of their problems than just not say a damn thing. So say something, please. Uh, where are we at? I never set the timer. That's bad. Going to the thing, switching it over on the big podcast. Okay. Question number two, how do I get closer to God? How do I get closer to God? So a lot of times I, when I'm in session with people, one of my first questions is how do you love, uh, or how does God love you? And how do you love God? So those are two questions that I invariably ask every one of my directees that I sit with. Uh, and those are ongoing conversations in sessions with me. It's like, how do you love God? How does he love you? How does, how does Godfather, Godmother, uh, Cosmos, how does it love you? And those are questions that are not easily answered right away. Like it's easier to, it's easier to answer the how I love God than it is how God loves me question because, you know, we can say go to church, pray, read the Bible. I talk to other people. I die good Thanksgiving. I go work with the homeless. Like, like those are things where we can reflect that back. But when we really start to understand how I receive love from God, that can be a hard-ass thing to do. So I ask people, how do you receive God? So I'll ask you, how do you receive him? How do you receive his love? How do you receive his wisdom? How do you receive his presence? How do you receive his essence? How do you receive the theology of God, right? The words of God or the Bible. Do, do you receive that? Uh, are, you, are you in a practice or uh, a regular kind of conscious spiritual practice where you talk to him, her, he talks back? Like, what is that? The how do I get closer to God really becomes how much awareness and consciousness you have with with the Trinity, with Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Like, where are you in that consciousness and that presence? I'm not telling you to go be a monk or a nun. You can if you want, I suppose. I'm not telling you to pick up a sign uh, and go on the corner and say, Jesus saves, or, 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 or I'm, not, I'm not asking you to do ridiculous things inside of faith that so many American evangelicals have deemed okay uh, and necessary for faith. It's, a lot of it's bullshit. I'm really asking you, to have a consciousness and awareness of how you are receiving the divine. 
So sit with that because those answers or not answers, like the things that you actually like, like maybe you sit and you go, oh my gosh, I, I don't know how I receive God. That will ultimately help drive some curiosity to get to know him. Um, and I, and I tell people, you know, right away is maybe you hunker down with a mentor, a spiritual director, a pastor, uh, a good friend, a friend of a family, or your best friend, and you start having these, these little chipped conversations um, about the divine and about what you think of the divine and how you believe about the divine or how you don't believe about the divine. Um, what in the Bible pisses you off? What in about theology pisses you off? What about church pisses you off? What about it do you like? Like all these things, man, as you gain more consciousness and awareness of receiving him is going to get you closer to God. So how do you receive him? One of the first questions my spiritual director asked me many, many years ago was, what do you want from God? And I had a real hard time even answering that at the time that I was being asked because I was just such an upheaval. You know, when I first met my spiritual director a billion years ago, it was like I was coming off of uh, a horrible, horrible suicide uh, that, uh, that, that, that a friend of mine a friend of mine killed herself, and it was just horrible. It was horrible, and it was like right in my face, and and uh, I couldn't see up, down, left, right, right, wrong. And frankly, I didn't want to, and I still don't. But the point is, is I couldn't focus and center on what I wanted from God or how I received Him. So, how do you receive Him? Uh, question number three: How do I talk about very personal issues with people? Like I like I hear this, like, and somebody would say, like, somebody who's handicapped or somebody whose mom just died or best friend just died. I feel like I want to lean in and talk about their handicap, or I feel like I want to lean in and talk about that death in their in their life. But I ju- I just don't have what I feel like is the tools to deal with those super personal personal issues when it comes to other people. And I'm going to tell you something right now: that thing that stops us from going deep is the thing that literally keeps us separated. And I want you to keep that kind of on the front burner while, while I'm answering this question. So there are people in your life that are sports news and weather, right? There's just people in your life you're going to do sports news and weather. And I'd rather you not have people sports news and weather. So what does that look like? And most of the time it looks like the neighbor across the street. Like you wave, hey, what's going on? How are you? Good. Hey, did you see that guy flying through the neighbor the other day? Yeah, what an idiot. Oh, I wish we had speed bumps. And then you move, get in your car and go, okay, have a good day. See you. Bye. And that's super, super like on the surface kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that every relationship should be deep for the record, so just stay with me, because you will have sports news and weather friends. I mean, there is, without a doubt, acquaintances, really. But I, I want you to keep on the front burner that there is something inside of you that does kick back when it comes to going deeper with people. That's where I want you to start asking yourself why, and then I want you to ask yourself, how can I actually allow myself to be the deep person in a relationship. Um, So if we take the example of the neighbor again, it's like, is there something you can give your neighbor about you? Can you give something about you to your neighbor that your neighbor would feel really great that, that, that he or she has? Not just simply doing probing questions of your neighbor, but something that you could give them. Uh, and the example that I use is like, uh, you know, I got a neighbor who, who uh, she's great and they got a wonderful uh, you know, place across the street and they're just really, really great. It's a great family. And a lot of times when I'm with them, I really want them to know and feel belonged to and loved by me. And so in a lot of ways, man, I'm going to make sure that when I do it, because I don't, I don't have opportunity that often to see these folks or interact with those folks. But when I do, I really, truly want to engage. 
come in. Please come in. It's nice to see you. You guys are great. Um, be able to share a little bit about my life, slowly but surely chipping away at this idea that there is that kind of line that can be crossed into some deep issues. Now, when it comes to like super deep issues like death and handicap, I want everybody to know something about people. People who are handicapped know they're handicapped. People who are blind know they're blind. People who are deaf know they're deaf. My, uh, one of my sons has autism. He knows he has autism. He gets it. He knows it. He talks about it at times. My wife lost her mother last August. She knows her mother died. <laughs> so what I'm saying to you is it's, uh, it's not as a, a sublimed or hidden reality as you think it is. It's just your uncomfortability that we're dealing with at the end of the day when we're talking about going deeper. And for the record, most of us, most of us, 90% of us like going deep. My wife loves talking about her mother, loves it, loves it. And for the record, she also won't shy away from a conversation about sorrow and grief when it comes to their mother. My son, who has autism, he won't shy away from that conversation. He'll lean in. I have, uh, I went to college, um... And uh, I went to college for a few years before I decided to skip town. <laughs> and uh, I went to the college that I was at, also uh, attached to it, had a, 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 the, Institute of the, uh, the Institute of Death, NTID, NTID, National Institute of Death, of, of Death, whatever. Uh, but it was a deaf school, and, and people who went there uh, were deaf. And I talked to a bunch of deaf people, had a lot of deaf friends. And uh, one, one of those questions were, do you mind when people talked to you about being deaf. And that's where I got that from because a deaf friend of mine looked back at me and said, what do you don't think I know I'm deaf? <laughs> so that really made me think. It made me really think and ingest how I approach deeper conversations based on somebody's either handicap or sorrow point or grieving point or real personal, personal point. But again, like the point I'm making with my neighbors is, is that there is a thing, man, that will occasionally stop me from going further. And you have to kick through that because when you do kick through that, you're going to find a very satisfied soul. It'll give you soulful satisfaction, not that they're going to make you happy, but that you may be happy with them while you are going deep. So just remember, Another person's handicap, sorrow, or grief is also a reality for them. And chances are, 90% of the time, they are going to engage you and actually uh, feel very loved and belong to the fact that you did ask. So feel free to break the line, bust the seal, get in there and noodle yourself away a little bit um, to be able to listen. And then when they do start talking, shut your mouth and listen to what they have to say. Um... All right, that was three. Four, does time heal all wounds? Absolutely not. It's bullshit. That, that, uh, that garbage, time heals all wounds, is nothing but stupidity. It's another way of denying what we're feeling. It's another way of denying grief and denying sorrow and denying the reality of a situation. Uh, I'll be better in a couple months. I'm going to go take a trip. I'm going to go do this to ignore it, that, or the other thing. So time doesn't heal all wounds, and I always say time doesn't heal all wounds. Send by somebody, said by somebody who doesn't grieve. <laughs> or who has lost somebody, uh, or who has broken up with somebody. You know, I mean, I'm. You know, I think about a girlfriend that I had. Girlfriend, I, I, I when I was like in seventh grade or eighth grade or whoever. And if this girl's listening to, you know, who the hell you are. Um, I was in love with this girl. And I used to write poetry to her, and I, I attempted to, and tried everything I possibly did to get her to notice me. And then finally, she noticed me, but she was out on me. And oh my gosh, it stung. Oh, I, you know, I was literally as vulnerable as I possibly could through the act of poetry and 
and just, you know, I, you know, I don't think I was a pain in the ass, but maybe I was, but I mean, I really tried everything I, I could. And to this day, I still feel that letdown of that day that I remember her kind of looking at me going, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> and it's not that I'm holding on to her, the, it's not that I'm holding on to that, that, that love that I have for her. It's not that holding on to, it's that, that, that emotion that I had was real. And that emotion that I had kind of got stepped on and, 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 and twisted and bent up. It wasn't her fault. It wasn't her fault. Uh, she didn't, uh, you know, she didn't, it, it wasn't her fault. It was my emotions. It was my emotions. The point I'm making is, and that's just over a little, you know, a little squashed little teenage heart, right? And I can, I can diminish that, but I can still feel that to this day. And I'm 51 right now. So my point is, you're a human being. You feel emotions. It's okay to know that. Time doesn't heal necessarily all that shit. Now, I have a greater maturity, obviously, at 51 than I did when I was in seventh freaking grade. So I can measure it and put a metric on it a little bit and understand how real or not real it is. Uh, but the point is, is that uh, time isn't necessarily the um, the mechanism by which everything gets flattened and evened out. In fact, sometimes with time, if you don't deal with certain emotions, they can actually get worse. They can actually get more bloviated and more heightened and more vigilantly uh, understood and uh, coerced. So, you know... Basically, somebody at that point will go, well, how do you heal a wound? And I always say it's talk, 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 talk. You got to talk. You got to emote. You got to get with people and you've got to be able to say, man, that chick broke my heart or man, that dude who just died, who's part of my life and I'm just going to miss the hell out of him and grieve. And how do you grieve? You allow the emotions to come out. You allow the experience of the person to come out. You allow the stories to come out. You allow the the actual essence of that person wrapped around you come out. And ultimately what ends up happening with grief is that you get to a point where you really start to understand that the love that encapsulated this relationship that you had with that person is much larger than just the physicality of that person leaving. Jesus had this great line coming out of the tomb to Mary. So Mary, uh, and the Mary in the Bible that kind of sees Jesus for the first time, like she's like the first a person that sees Jesus. Uh, and uh, Mary has this great, like, like loved Jesus and really wanted to be all in with Jesus and mourned the, the business out of Jesus when he went to his death and, and he was entombed and he comes out and Mary's there and doesn't recognize him and, and, and they get to talking and finally Jesus kind of turns to Mary and says, yo, don't cling to me. Don't cling to me. Don't, don't cling to me uh, the, the what was of me. Cling to me the, the what is of me, the love that I gave you, the love that you gave me, the love that we encapsulated in each other. So time doesn't heal all wounds. The communication does. So just, just make sure you got a heads up on that. Uh, 26 minutes into it, uh, last one, and I get the, I do, I get this question. I don't know why I get this question, but it's just weird. Is Judas in hell? So Judas, if you don't know, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is a character in it. He's a disciple of Jesus. His name is Judas. He ends up selling or betraying Jesus. He ends up selling out or betraying Jesus to uh, to not only the Jewish re- uh, leaders at the time, but then ultimately the Romans, uh, who both parties kind of decide. Uh, at some level and length to kill him. And he does it for some cash. And he ultimately ends up committing suicide. 
Is Judas in hell? No, Judas is not in hell. Number one. Number one, Judas is not in hell. Um, and then at that point, there'll be a fiery uproar of people standing outside my house with signs that say uh, all kinds of, of stupid because this is a theological thing that people like to argue. I don't like to argue about this. I'll just give a couple things about why I don't think he's in hell. Number one, I don't think he's in hell because Jesus actually in the Last Supper, the night before he goes to, um, to die, um, he, he actually tells everybody in the room who this dude is. He's like, I, he's like, somebody's going to betray me in here, and it's the dude that's going to drink the cup, and blah, 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 and he points him out, and oh my gosh, it's Judas. And these 12 dudes, which would have been minus Jesus, and let's say minus Judas, that would have been 10 dudes at that point, who had a vested interest in Jesus at some point, didn't get up and go kick Judas's ass. And think about what I'm saying. Think about what I'm saying for two seconds. These 12 dudes that followed Jesus around, 10 of which are listening now to Jesus, right? And they're like, wait, somebody's going to betray you? Oh, I mean, you're, you're like one of my best friends in the world. I want to protect you at any length, right? They don't just get up and go kick Jesus' ass and go, how dare you? They actually let him go do his business. In the garden then that night, there's an, there, Jesus goes to the garden to kind of uh, settle in with God about what's going to happen to his life, meaning Jesus finally understands, whoa, I'm going to die, and I'm going to die. It's going to be a horrible death, and, and this, is a, this is a real deal, and Jesus emotes. Like, you read it in the Bible. It's, it's an incredible story of Jesus coming to terms with what's about to happen to him. He's worried. He's, he's uh, under so much stress and pressure. It's a great look at his humanity. Uh, Simon Peter, who is a hardened little disciple, fisherman, uh, very brazen, said whatever the hell was on the top of his mind kind of a guy, as the Romans come up to grab Jesus, um, after, after Judas has already sold him out, gets his money, comes back. Judas says, yo to the Romans, I'm going to kiss Jesus just so you know which one he is. Because they all kind of look the same, and I don't mean that racistly. <laughs> racistly? <laughs> I mean, they. it was dark the whole nine yards. Uh, Jesus had a brother or two sitting in there, so you know there was, some, there was some unfamiliarity with who or what Jesus looked like. We always get the idea that Jesus you know, had his face on billboards around Jerusalem at the time. They did, he didn't. So Judas is like, yo, I'm going to kiss the dude that you need to grab. Simon Peter, at the point where the Romans go to grab him, tries to cut the head off a Roman, but he ends up getting his ear. He doesn't go for his ear. He goes for his head, y'all, but he gets his ear. But what's funny is he doesn't go for Judas. He doesn't go stab Judas. He doesn't go try to kill Judas, who just who he knows sold him out. He goes for the Roman. So, you know, I'm, I'm just giving you this idea that there's a bigger essence to this story. There's a lot more going on than just simply he sold out Jesus, the Son of God, and therefore he goes to hell, which is, I'm telling you, man, American Christians are always looking for certainty. They're always looking for right, wrong, up, down, certain, this is how it goes. He did a bad thing. He sucks. He goes to hell. And I'm telling you, Judas's life, particularly his experience toward the end of Jesus's life, should speak volumes to us about not only who he was, but who God is and what God considers grace or not grace and what God considers love and not love. Like, I really want you to think about the story. Judas ends up going on to commit suicide because at the end of the day, he is so shamed by his own behavior that he takes his own life. 
And I want you to get there with me. Have an, em- have an empathetic view at the either mistake he made or just the d- divine kind of journey that he had to take that night to kill himself. So, um, you know, there's also one school of thought that Judas tried to save his friend, that Judas was like, I'll turn him over to the Sanhedrin just so he doesn't get killed by the Romans. So there's all kinds of theological bents on this and historical understandings. But at the end of the day, if we just go to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we get Jesus being sold out by Judas uh, for some cash and then ultimately taking his life. And I'm telling you right now, this isn't a symbol of hell. This isn't a symbol of him not believing. This isn't a symbol of him being the devil. This isn't any of those symbols. This is a symbol of a human being who, in my understanding, made a huge, massive mistake. And if that mistake is in the eyes of God, I don't see God being absolutely certain to damn him to any kind of hell. His hell, for the record, was his shame. His hell, for the record, was taking his own life. His hell was siloing and isolating himself up and away from his friends and his, and his very dear friend, Jesus, um, as he understood what was going to happen to his friend. Judas ain't in hell. Okay. Good people, uh, thank you very much for listening. I love you all very much. I appreciate your time with my time, and I want you to know that this time um, that I have with you, uh, I'm super sincere when I say this. Uh, I thank you for allowing um, you know a lot of that to happen. Uh, if you need me, I'm JR, JR at JRman.com, JR at JRman.com. It's M-A-H-O-N. You can write me. Uh, there's plenty of places on JRman.com to get me. I put my number out there. You can text me. I'll text you right back. You can write me. I'll write you right back. You can call me. I'll actually pick up. Imagine that, a guy that actually picks up. Hey, when's the last time you like made a phone call and like, somebody grabbed it? It's so funny how many people we just all text now. We just all text and DM. Hey, how you doing? By the way, I'll DM you if that's what you want to do. If you just want to DM problems, I'll DM you right back. <laughs> All right, good people. I love you very much. Thanks for listening. Until next week, this is your life's work. Music.